Grace and peace to you this morning. We are so glad that you're here with us. We want to, to welcome you, especially welcome our visitors. If you have a Bible, be opening to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we're in a series of lessons from the book of Isaiah, just kind of been going along and looking at um, lessons and passages from, from uh, Isaiah, this wonderful prophetic Old Testament book. Um, you may, you know, on your own time, be reading along and, and, and read through Isaiah. It'd be a wonderful blessing to you because God's Word speaks to us. It speaks to us on Sunday morning, but it can speak to you in your life as you read it throughout the week. I want to thank everyone who showed up on Wednesday night. We had a, a wonderful gathering of people for Trunk or Treat. The back was full, lots of kids from the community. And, and just thank you for showing up and participating in that and, and blessing the, the children uh, here in LaGrange. So our passage this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9. I'll begin reading in verse 2 and we'll read through verse 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, you will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth, and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, the book of Isaiah has many famous passages. And, and so these are passages that, that we're used to hearing. Uh, they're read more often than, than other passages in Scripture. They're sometimes found in songs. And these passages, they, they shape who we are, and they also shape our understanding of God. And this is one of those passages here. Many of us, for instance, know verse 6 by heart. It is poetic, and so we pick up on that cadence in verse 6. And it's one of those verses that we probably never tried to memorize in our life, but we've heard it so many times that the words just roll off our tongue when we hear it being read. You know, it's sometimes more difficult to say something about well-known passages of Scripture than the obscure ones. This is because we have lived with these passages for so long, and they're familiar to us. We know them inside and out. However, we must always remember that the Bible is a living book. And so it continues to speak to us throughout our lifetime. And we come to Scripture at various points in our life, and we see different things that we didn't see before. I was struck by this fact this last week as I was reading over this text, reading over it over and over again. And what stood out to me was the first part of the passage, especially those first lines. 
And so this is a passage about something that is to come, but it's written as if it has already happened. And so when God makes a promise, we know that he's going to fulfill it. In fact, what we do here on Sunday morning is a proclamation of what is to come. We gather around this table to share a meal. Jesus is with us, but he's not the only one. We're told in Scripture, we're told in the book of Hebrews, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we do this in anticipation of a day um, gathering around a banquet table with God and Jesus and those faithful saints. We're looking forward to that day. And we proclaim this truth every Sunday when we, when we practice this. Well, the passage in Isaiah is kind of like this. It, it hasn't happened yet, but it is proclaimed as if it is. And so the first verse sets the stage for what is to come. The, the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. In chapter 8, Isaiah presented a vision of two ways of living. And we notice how this was a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Well, here we encounter another theme that is found all over the Bible. It is the theme of light and darkness. And, and this is the verse that, that struck me as I was reading this week. Isaiah is speaking of this, this grand change that is going to happen. And he's talking about a large number of people who are walking in darkness, but then they encounter a light. And Isaiah is looking forward to an event that will forever change the world, what we know as the coming of the Messiah. And so he anticipates an encounter with Jesus that will cause people who are walking in darkness to embrace the light. Now this same language is found in the beginning of the Gospels. I'll just give you a couple of verses. John, speaking of Jesus, writes this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then there's Luke chapter 1, verses 78 through 79, where Zechariah utters these words just before the birth of Jesus. He says, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn, the light, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so what Isaiah said long ago is coming true. The world is going to be transformed by the light of Jesus Christ. And this light will overcome the darkness. And so when we encounter Christ, we encounter the light. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is on that road to Damascus, he literally encounters a light from heaven and he is blinded. And so darkness and light are part of conversion. We walk in darkness until we turn to the light. And darkness and light are reflected in our lives. Jesus turns our lives from darkness to light. Paul was a murderer. He was a persecutor of the church until he encountered Jesus. 
And the difference in his life prior to encountering Jesus and after encountering Jesus was night and day. He was a completely different person. He was dedicated to different things. The, the focus of his life changed. And there would be no way that you could be one of Paul's friends and, and not know that something significant had happened to him. He had undergone a transformation. And this would be something that would be visible in his life, something that you could see and hear when you talked with him. Well, many people over the last couple of weeks have been talking about uh, a conversion. They've been talking about the conversion of Kanye West. And for those of you who don't know, um, Kanye West is a rapper. But more than this, he's one of the biggest artists in the world. And he's undergone a radical transformation over the last year. He recently announced that he's you know, giving up secular music and he's only going to do Christian music from now on. And when asked if he is a Christian artist now, this is the reply he gave. He said, I am a Christian everything. And what some have noticed is that Kanye has been open about his faith for many years. In fact, he had a song on his debut album back in 2004 about um, Jesus and about his faith. And so why this transition now? Was he Christian back then or was he not? Uh, and what I want to suggest is what happened to Kanye is something that happens to, to many of us. We grow up in a Christian nation. And we become Christians because of our parents or uh, we become Christians because of our friends. And it's part of the culture in which we live. But here's the thing. When we encounter a cultural Jesus, our lives never change. We might wear the name of Christ, but we still live as we once did. Because you don't have to make any sacrifices to follow a cultural Jesus. And a cultural Jesus asks nothing of you. And so there are many people who follow a cultural Jesus and they still walk in darkness. And I think this is what was going on with Kanye for many years. You know, he was professing faith, but his life didn't look like it. But then he encounters a risen Christ and his life changes. And we must ask ourselves, which Jesus are we following? Are we following this cultural Jesus that is powerless, one that asks nothing of us? Or are we following the risen Christ? Have we actually denied ourselves, picked up our cross, and, and began to follow Jesus? Have our lives changed drastically since walking in the footsteps of Jesus? Can, can the people in our lives, the people who know us, our friends, our family members, can they see a difference in us? Are, are we following Jesus because it's what others are doing? Or are we following Jesus because he is the Son of God and we know that there is salvation and no other? You see, it makes a difference. One claims to be a Christian but is not 
the other is Christian and understands that, that following Jesus is more important than anything else in the world. And, and there's a vast difference between light and darkness. We're either walking in one or the other, and, and there is no in-between. And so if we've encountered the, the risen Christ, if we've encountered the true Christ, then our lives are going to reflect that. And we will want to be a Christian everything. We will want to glorify Jesus in everything that we do. Our, our allegiances will not be divided, and our heart will be dedicated solely to following the King of Kings. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Well, Isaiah continues to describe great blessing and transformation. He says, you, here referring to God, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. What causes those who walk in darkness to turn to the light? What brings great joy and rejoicing as Isaiah speaks about here? Who is able to lift our burdens and, and deal with our oppressors? Well, these are the questions that are being answered in Isaiah chapter 9. However, Isaiah applies them not to individuals, as we often do. He applies them to a nation. And Isaiah is speaking here in terms of politics and government. Well, there has never been a perfect government. All of them have been corrupt in some way. Obviously, there are some that are more corrupt than others. They all have their faults because they are all ran by human beings. Pride, power, and greed have corrupted many over the years. Injustice becomes a problem, and people suffer because of the judgments of a few. And this is the story of government over and over again. But Isaiah says that it's all going to change. He envisions a perfect government. A government of light, not of darkness. A government that brings joy and one that blesses its people. A government that relieves the burdens of its people and protects against any oppressors. Well, how can this be? What will bring about this new government? And the shocking answer is a child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, in the ancient world, a leader was expected to be strong and to be mighty. Even in our modern world, you know, we expect leaders to be confident and bold. We want someone who's going to be brave when facing trouble or uncertainty. And a baby becoming king would have been laughable in ancient times and impossible in modern times. A child, much less a baby, could, could never become president. They would never be elected 
prime minister. And yet Isaiah says it will be a child who makes everything right and the government will set upon this child's shoulders. A child is coming into the world to do what no human being could ever do. You know, in ancient times, people were often oppressed by the government. The poor had to pay taxes, and sometimes, you know, there was not enough to eat. There was forced labor. People were taken into captivity by invading armies. There was much to complain about. Now, conditions have greatly improved over time, but, but governments are no less corrupt today than they were back then. And people continue to suffer. And we fight about what to do about it. You know, it, it's not right that people should die because of gun violence. It's not right that innocent children should be aborted before they're ever given a chance at life. It's not right that the sick go uncared for. It's not right for a hard-working father to be unable to provide for his family. It's not right for predatory loan companies to take advantage of the poor. It's not right for a child to be forced to live as the opposite sex from which they were assigned at birth. These are all things that are not right and we can disagree on how to address these issues and what to do about them, but we cannot disagree that they are all examples of what is not right with our world. And the government has failed to right these wrongs. And there is no indication that they will um, do so anytime soon. And so we live in this broken world. And we cannot rely on the government to save us, just as the people in Isaiah's day could not rely on their government to save them. But we're not without hope. And perhaps the problem is that we are not, or we're often not looking for the, um, that we're often looking for the wrong thing to solve all of our problems. Because what we're looking for is we're looking for this strong man. And we're looking for this confident woman. And we're looking for this next great charismatic personality to tell us what we want to hear. But all they have for us is empty words. And what we should be looking for is a child, a humble, innocent child. Isaiah says, it is the child who will make all things right. And only the child can provide us with the answers that we seek. And only the child can deal with the problems that we're dealing with. And so we're looking for powerful men and women when we should be looking for a child. Well, who is this child? Well, Isaiah tells us, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so Jesus did not come just to snatch us away and take us to heaven. He came to establish a government, a kingdom. In fact, we're told this at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of God is the kingdom of God is at hand and its king was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And the coming of that child forever changed the world. He established a kingdom, and we are servants of the king. Now, while on earth, Jesus healed the sick, and he fed the poor, and he welcomed sinners, and he raised the dead, and much, much more. You could go on and on and on of all the things that Jesus did. But what we need to understand is that while Jesus was on earth, is that he was giving us a glimpse of what the kingdom is to be. And he was giving us a foretaste of what is to come. And so we gather every first day of the week to celebrate the king and his kingdom. And we put our differences aside and gather around the table in anticipation of the return of our King. And we acknowledge that no person living on earth can do what our King can do. And our allegiance is to Him and Him alone. And we are citizens in His kingdom and we live according to His rule and our words and our actions glorify Him. Because for to us, A child is born to us. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your kingdom. A kingdom that is breaking into this world a kingdom who is led by your Son, Jesus Christ. He is the rightful King over all. And we're so thankful to be citizens in His kingdom. We're so thankful that we live in the light and that He has shown us the way. And we're so thankful for all the blessings that come from being a part of this kingdom. Father, may we show others in this world what this kingdom is all about. May they come to learn the justice and righteousness of this kingdom.
We acknowledge that there are many things in our world that are not right. And we pray that we would be able to right many of the wrongs that we see every day so that we can be a light in this world and that we can point others to the true King of Kings. We're so thankful for Jesus who died upon the cross to establish His kingdom, to overcome sin and death. We pray this in His name. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, you not have submitted your life to Christ in baptism, uh, we want to encourage you to do that. Or if you're here today and you need the prayers of this congregation, if there's anything that we can do to help you, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.